Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 12. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he, must, he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and a speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for your word. In it we find who you are, what you're like, and how we're to live. How we are to be as the church. And so we pray that you would take this text, apply it to our hearts by your spirit. Help us to be faithful to you as uh, we want you to be glorified in all we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, right. we're going to get right into it. Everything I'm going to say, everything I'm going to say this morning is focused in on this one sentence, on what I think this text is telling us we are called to do as followers of Jesus, this one sentence. Desire the gifts of the Spirit that build up the church. Desire the gifts of the Spirit that build up the church. Now, I want to look at this in four key parts with four key words. Church, build, gifts, and desire. And if you see that that is my sentence in reverse, desire, gifts, build, church, then we're going to have a great time. We are going to desire the gifts of the Spirit that build up the church. Uh, the idea, though, of building up the church actually starts 11 chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is not a new concept that Paul's introducing here in chapter 14 as he writes to the church of God in Corinth. We see this back in chapter 3. In verse 10, it says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that he knows the gift that he brings to the Christian team. He's the guy who shows up when there's nothing, he plants a church, and then there's something. His gifting as a skilled master builder, literally a skilled architect or a wise master builder architect, that's his gifting that has been given to him by God. His job description is lay the foundation. He knows his gifting. He knows his job description. And as the one who lays the foundation, he knows that the only true foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. And when he says this, he's intending that his readers would immediately call to mind what he said a couple chapters earlier. So we go back to chapter 1. It says in chapter 1, verse 22, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified 
Paul says it's all about Jesus, that he is the foundation of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, I've got nothing for you until you recognize that my point of origin, my foundation, my entire basis for the way of being I understand in the world, my entire way of understanding reality is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything Paul views his life, everything in his life, he views through that lens of who Jesus is and what he's done. He's the very foundation of the whole thing. Now, I don't have to tell you the importance of a foundation. If you lay the right foundation, you can build a building that'll be still standing thousands of years from now. If you build on the wrong foundation, you might not even get the building finished before it starts to sink or twist or tilt or just fall down. Foundation's everything. So if you start with the wrong foundation, you're in trouble. And the point is, nothing I'm going to say today matters if this foundation isn't solid. If we don't recognize what we're doing here is all built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, then it really doesn't matter anything else I have to say. We're called to build up the church. We do not mess with the foundation. We're called to take care in how we build as the church, but we don't mess with the foundation. We're called to build up the church, you know, among other reasons, like you saw at the beginning of the video that we shared. God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. That means that the, the church is the means that God uses to make himself known in the world. It means the work of building the church is really, really important and that it's not all about us. The work of building up the people of God, the church, it's not, a, it's not just about us. John Stott, a great theologian who's gone to be with Jesus, he said the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. Jesus founded the church. He purchased it with his blood. He intimately identifies himself with it. The church is the body of Christ, the dwelling place of his spirit, the chief instrument for glorifying God in the world. The church is God's instrument for bringing forth the gospel to the nations. And it's the way people hear of Jesus' reconciling work and how he is drawing them into relationship with himself. And when Paul was trying to show the church in Ephesus, another church, what was so significant about his call and his suffering and the ministry that he'd been given, he told them that the purpose was so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. It's the access point for people to find the truth. It's through the church that the world comes to know who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. A guy named James Montgomery Boyce, which is a sick name. If I had that name, I'd be, I'd be so much smarter. Brett is such a reductionist name. This is not about me, though. James Montgomery Boyce. I don't know, sometimes. Christ's... Christ's work is the church's foundation. Christ's work continues in the church. The fullness of the mystery of God in redemption is disclosed among his people. Right, to say it another way, our evangelism, the way that we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the way that we share that might make the gospel audible. But Christians relating together in community, in local churches, is what makes the gospel visible. This is what Mark Dever said. He said, the church is the gospel made visible. 
So why spend time talking about the church? Well, because Jesus came for the church. He lived for the church. He suffered for the church. He died for the church. He rose for the church. He ascended for the church. He chose to use the church to make known the magnificence of God and the mystery of redemption. And that's why this passage matters. And if we don't get that, then nothing else I have to say matters. We need to rightly desire the gifts of the Spirit that build up the church. We've looked at church. Secondly, we have to look at build. Look at the text, verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. We saw the manifestations of the Spirit back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. We talk about how the manifestations of the Spirit were for the common good. These are gifts of the Spirit that are given to God's people. If the church is the gospel made visible and the church is the community that takes the good news of salvation in Jesus out then to the rest of the world, it stands to reason that we would be more effective at accomplishing the task we've been entrusted with when we are built up or strengthened or strong. Building up the church means strengthening the church, the community of God's people. Now, Christ City, you read that text and you think, perfect, that's why we have a pastor. That's why we have administrative staff and people who do the things for the strengthening and upbuilding of the church. And you sit there and go, praise God, this coffee's delicious. <laughs> I feel like I need to begin by convincing you that this is your job. It's my job, too, because I'm part of the church. It's not limited to me. It's not limited to the other pastors or elders or deacons or community group leaders or service team leaders or volunteers or any other people that are not you. It includes all of those people, but only when it includes you. It's the job of the person to your left. It's the job of the person to your right. It's the job of the person in front of you. And it's the job of the person staring at the back of your head right now. Every single one of us. That means if you're a Christian... You're called to build up the church. Building up the church is strengthening the church. You're a builder, not a bystander. You're called to be an active participant in this work, not a passive spectator. If you're a Christian, it means you need to, to give yourself to this so that we can all be strong. You're like, oh... He's, there's an ask coming. He's, there's something we need in the church, and he's about to... No, you just need to know this is who you are. Some of you think you're too young. Youth, students, you're not too young. God wants to use you to build up his church. Some of you think you're too old. Wrong. I saw a guy ask a question this morning. He said, how old is a, a guy not associated with our church? He said, how old is too old to join a church plant? I was like, I was taken aback by the question. That, that sounds dumb. If you're alive, you join a church plant. <laughs> but I also know that some people have been made to feel like they're irrelevant. If you think you're too old, you're wrong. Some of you think you're too this and some of you think you're too that. Some of you think you're too busy. Some of you do think you're too irrelevant. Some of you think you're too smart. Some of you think you're not smart enough. 
All of you who think any of these things, you're just wrong. Here's what you are. You are necessary. Every single one of you. I don't care who overlooked you in the past. I don't care who told you you weren't gifted enough. I don't care who made you feel undervalued. They were wrong. Every single person here right now who follows Jesus, who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, every single one of you who confess and believe that are part of Jesus' church, the one body of Christ. And that means that every single one of you matters for the building up and strengthening of this community. Building up the church means strengthening the church. And none of us is as strong as all of us. Christ City is a community of builders, not bystanders. This means it's going to take an intentional effort. Just lodge those two words in your head. Intentional effort to build up or strengthen the community that you're a part of by using the spiritual gifts God's given to you. Intentional effort. This text says, strive to excel in building up the church. What does that mean practically? Strive to excel in building up the church. It means helping someone in their spiritual growth. Some of you have heard me say this before. We're disciples of Jesus. What does that mean? We're followers of Jesus. Okay, so what's discipleship? Helping others follow Jesus. It's not that complicated. They even let me in. <laughs> hey, this is a simple thing. And that's what strengthening the church is. Strive to excel in building up the church. Help someone grow. Help someone in their spiritual growth. Come alongside someone in the development of their character. Be an example to someone. Show them in God's word how they are to live. It's what we could call mutual edification. It's mutually strengthening one another. It means teaching the new Christian how to read the Bible. It means spending time with someone to help them learn how to pray. It means getting into the mess with people when they're wrestling through things in their life. It means holding each other accountable as we lovingly check in on each other's spiritual progress and growth. It's a word of encouragement to the discouraged person in your community group. It's an intentional effort to build them up. It's letting someone borrow some of your faith when theirs is running low. It's weeping with those who weep. It's rejoicing with those who rejoice. It's what goes on when we have our medical ethics course on Tuesday nights. It's what's happening right now downstairs with all of the kids. It's happening on Monday nights with the youth. It happens in everything that we give ourselves to. The mutual upbuilding, the mutual strengthening of the church. The point I'm making is that it's for all of you. It's the work we are all called to do. And it has a purpose, because when the church is strong, we shine the light of Christ brighter and more clearly in this city, so that all can find their way to God through the midst of the darkness. That's the call. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, that's the building work we're called to do so that that light can shine. Now, that's in general. 
what building up the church would be. But in particular, this text narrows it down to a couple of specific applications of building up the church. And I want to take you there. We're called to desire the gifts of the Spirit that build up the church. So we looked at church, we looked at build, now gifts. Right? The church is the community we're building. The building is the work we're all called to do. And the gifts that we're going to look at are some of the tools that we get to build with. Look at the text, verse 1. Pursue love. We talked about that for the last couple of weeks. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, even though, uh, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. All right. Now a note on what's going on in the church in Corinth. Remember, Paul's writing this to a particular church that have particular issues. And the church in Corinth seems to have been pretty obsessed with the gift of tongues, which he says are good for building up yourself as a spiritual discipline in your prayers. But they're not that good for building up the church unless they're interpreted. Because without interpretation, no one has a clue what you're saying. I talked about this a number of weeks ago back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but as a refresher, this is what I said. The gift of tongues is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit, whereby the believer speaks forth in a language he or she has never learned and which he or she does not understand. That's tongues. Now, in this text, we're talking about a heavenly language. I think that's what's going on here. But the main point is that in the gathered church, when they were together, gathered, in a gathered church setting, prophecy is going to be way more fruitful than getting up and saying something that no one understands. It's the point. The intelligibility of the communication is the point that we're looking at. Okay? Prophecy is better than tongues. That's what he's saying. Because it builds up the church. Tongues builds up you. Prophecy builds up the church. So what's prophecy? All right. On the day of Pentecost, when the followers of Jesus first received the gift of the Holy Spirit, Peter's preaching in full view of a, a massive crowd, and he quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel. Acts chapter 2 shows us this. This is what he said. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. See, the, the Old Testament prophets looked forward to the day when God's Spirit would be poured out on all people. And some of the signs of his presence with all people, as it says later on in Acts chapter 2, would be prophesying, wonders and signs, and people calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. We see that in Corinth, in this text, this is what's going on in Corinth. Prophecy, signs, wonders, people calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. We see that today in our church. This is where we experience some of these things. One of the signs of the presence of God at work in the community of the church, along with all of the other gifts of the Spirit, is the gift of prophecy. So let me give you my definition on that. Prophecy 
as a gift of the Holy Spirit, is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind for the upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation of the church. I want to read it one more time. Prophecy as a gift of the Holy Spirit is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind for the upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation of the church. I've previously said in, in, in past weeks talking about the gifts of the Spirit that we are continuationists. We believe in the full continuation of the gifts of the Spirit in the church today. We believe in that under the authority of Scripture, that, that when we function in the gifts of the Spirit under the authority of Scripture, there's an ordered way to do this, and we believe in the continuation of those gifts, including the gift of prophecy. Now, some want to argue that prophecy in the New Testament is simply preaching and teaching the Bible. Um, that's great. Preaching and teaching the Bible is very good. I don't think you can limit prophecy to that. I think it's too reductionist. Preaching and teaching can be prophetic. Sometimes it's even prophetic from this pulpit. But prophecy can't be understood to be limited to preaching and teaching. I think it's important to say that prophecy in the New Testament is not the same as the words of the prophets in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we would call them capital P prophets. They spoke with a divine authority. They spoke the very words of God. And if they got it wrong, they were killed as false prophets. So the stakes were fairly high. They were speaking for God. It was taken very seriously. There are no more capital P prophets. Somebody tells you they're a prophet, and this is what they mean, that their words have the same authority as Scripture, you should get away from that person's influence ASAP. They are a false teacher. You may have found them on the internet. There are no more capital P prophets, but when the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus' people, we received the gift of prophecy along with the other gifts of the Spirit. Old P prophets, Old Testament prophets stop. New Testament prophecy, the gift of prophecy begins. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul's writing this to the church in Thessalonica. He says in verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Prophecy for us today is communicating something from God that needs to be weighed, tested, and discerned. And what we weigh, test, and discern it against is Scripture. And the gift of prophecy, it's important that you hear this, is not predicting the future. That said, there could be things that are in your heart that you believe God may be calling you to do, that you've kept hidden in your heart, and at times, a prophetic word from somebody who has no idea can confirm that call. It's not predictive, it's confirmational. Revelatory, yes, but confirming what you already have a sense of the Holy Spirit's leading to do. Prophecies that tell people what to be do should be regarded as suspicious. That's the gentlest word I could think of for prophecies that tell people what to do. I've been, people have tried to prophesy me into churches, onto teams. People try to prophesy us as a family out of coming to Vancouver. All kinds of things. Why do you think the church in Thessalonica needed to be told to not despise prophecies? Probably because they had some folks around them who abused it like that. 
Probably. If you come from a church background where prophecy was abused and, and maybe some people sought to manipulate you by telling you what they wanted and then saying, thus saith the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, but you need to know you're not alone. I've experienced this. We talked about it in our community group. People in our community group experienced this. I think we need to call it what it is. That's spiritual manipulation. That's not prophecy. That's spiritual manipulation. That's what that is. That is attaching the authority of God to something somebody wants. It might even be well-intentioned, but it's still manipulative, and it's wrong. Now, with that said, 1 Thessalonians 5 said, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Right? This is one of those ones where I say, thankfully, like the young woman who tried to spiritually manipulate Allison into believing that I wasn't the man for her. <laughs> right? Thankfully, Allison weighed that, tested that, discerned that it was not a word from the Lord. Praise God. On the other hand, when we were praying about planting Christ City, we were asking God whether or not we should do this. There were lots of other doors that opened in the midst of our discerning what we should do. Go and work for this group, work for this network, stay at this church, go and do this thing. And we're praying, going, what, what are we called to do? Those are all wonderful, but what are we supposed to do? And in the discerning of that, we had a number of prophetic words that confirmed what was in our hearts. I would say at first at least what was in my heart, and then what became our heart. And those prophetic words were a massive encouragement to us. I think our text is a really fantastic description of what the gift of prophecy is supposed to be about. Just look at verse 3 again. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Upbuilding, encouragement, and consoling or comforting. See, a word of prophecy can be such a strength to your soul. It can be such a deep encouragement in the midst of your trials, and it can be a deep comfort in your pain. And here's why. It's a real word from God who loves you, spoken through someone else, so that you might know that he is with you, that he's not forgotten you, that he has a plan for you, and that he is at work in your life. Now that's an amazing gift. No wonder Paul says it's for the upbuilding of the church. No wonder he says this is a great way to strengthen the church. Sometimes all it is, is is sharing a well-timed passage of Scripture with someone. Sometimes prophetic words come through warnings in dreams. God speaks to us. Sometimes it's when someone comes to mind as you're in prayer, or even if you're just minding your own business, and someone all of a sudden comes to mind. You should think, Lord, what, what, what are you saying? Do you want me to pray for that person? Do they need a word of encouragement? Sometimes you get an impression of what you think you need to share or communicate with them. That's a gift. Often for me, it comes when I'm reading my Bible and I just feel led to share a particular verse with someone. I'll be reading something in Psalms and someone just comes to mind and I'll think, I wonder if this verse is be an encouragement. And then I kind of think, well, what's, the, what's the, you know, the opportunity cost here? I send them a verse of scripture and say, I wanted to encourage you with this. And they go, what a jerk. <laughs> no, what if, it's a, what if it's just a word in season for them? What if it is led of the Holy Spirit? I want to take that risk. The big point here is that it's talking about the way we're called to desire the gifts of the Spirit that build up the church when we're together like this. I want you to notice the two contrasts in the text. Look at verse 2. 
For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. See, tongues seems to primarily be prayer unless it's interpreted and someone reveals what is being said, the meaning behind what is being said. Other than that, it's just directed to God. Whereas prophecy is some kind of revelation from God that is for the gathered people. Hey, the second contrast in the text says in verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So tongues is good then for personal upbuilding, which is great. But prophecy, he says, is greater in the sense that it's for the building up of the church. It's more helpful. Unless, again, the tongue is interpreted so that the church may be built up. Now, this isn't saying tongues are useless. In fact, I think it's far from it. He wouldn't say, I want you all to speak in tongues if he thought they were useless. For instance, you know that when you do your personal devotions, that you become a stronger member of the body of Christ, you might be a blessing to people around you. That's your personal, private, devotional life. I don't know anyone who would say, it's just so selfish of you. Just, it's all for your upbuilding. That's not true. That's not true. It's going to flow through you. Your upbuilding, your strengthening is going to then allow you to serve as a member of the body of Christ to upbuild and strengthen others. It's not just for you. It's actually for everyone. Same with tongues. Great for you personally, but here in the gathered setting, Paul's saying prophecy, a little more valuable. We're called to desire the gifts of the Spirit that build up the church. We've looked at church and build and gifts, but we've got to talk about desire. We've got to talk about desire because we're called to desire the gifts that build the church. Desire the gifts that build the church. It's that intentional effort that goes with it. In verse 1 of our text, it starts out with this call to be a church who pursues love and earnestly desires spiritual gifts. Verse 1 says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. This earnest desire has this idea of a burning zeal. It's to be zealous. The text ends with the recognition that this church in Corinth is eager for the gifts of the Spirit to be in action in their church. And Paul's telling them to make sure that these gifts are actually building up the church. They are already filled with passionate desire and zeal for the gifts of the Spirit to be unleashed in the ministry of their church. And he's saying, I just want to make sure I aim that zeal at something helpful. That's what he's saying. Zeal was there. Desire was there. The hunger was there. The passion was there. They were a little bit off. He's just redirecting them. Verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. This eagerness is the same idea as burning with zeal. And the struggle in Corinth was that they at times misused their gifts. Okay, and like I said, it needed to be refocused. The struggle for us, I think, is different. Our struggle, I think, is that sometimes I'm not sure our desire is where it needs to be to strengthen the church. Sometimes I think we're a little cool in our zeal, not that burning passion to 
unleash the gifts that God's given you for the upbuilding of the church. I think it's a little bit like, that doesn't sound super intellectual. Sometimes it's just in fear because you've never experienced it before. That's okay. Sometimes you've had really bad experiences, right? Thus saith the Lord, you should marry me. Weird uses of the gift of prophecy. There's lots of reasons to just do away with all of this. But the reason to not do away with all of it, and in fact to intense our inten- to increase our intensity, our desire for the gifts of the Spirit, the reason for that is actually way more compelling than all the reasons that we should do away with it. We want Jesus' church to be strong so that we can be on mission, so that people in our neighborhoods would know the love of God and come into eternal relationship with Him. In order to do that, we need to be strong. In order to be strong, we need to be built up. In order to be built up, we need to use the gifts of the Spirit. So where's your desire? Don't say it out loud. One to ten. Where's your desire? If it's a four, can I say, let's make, it, let's make it a five. Let's just come up a little bit with our desire. I'm not talking about everyone running around at 10 out of 10 all the time. That's also a scary church to be a part of. <laughs> just everyone building all at the same time. <laughs> I think I've been part of that church before, I think. No, if it's all directed at the right thing, it's actually beautiful. But what does it look like for you just to go up a little bit? Are you praying about this? Are you asking God that you would come to understand the gifts that he's given you? That he would give you opportunities to use the gifts that he's given you? That you might be a blessing for the upbuilding and encouragement of the rest of the church? That we might see the fame and deeds of God known in our day? This is a holy desire. It's a good desire. This is for every one of you. This is all building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. This is his church. Can you elevate your expectancy of encounter with God? Can you desire the gifts that build the church? It's my challenge to you. Identify where you're at and elevate. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me as we respond?